contents of the lab report are meant for educational purposes only. They're not meant to be misconstrued as medical diagnosis or treatment advice. Today on The Lab Report, Dr. Neil Paulvin. Yeah, I'm just glad to have some DO blood in here. And I would say that his practice is uh-huh. truly integrative. All the things he's doing? True. It's amazing. The world of medicine can be challenging. Clinicians and patients are always looking for more options, more effective treatments, and in the end, more answers. Functional and integrative medicine focuses on addressing root causes of disease. Here at Genova Diagnostics, we've watched this field evolve and grow for over 35 years. We've not only adapted, we've led. Join us as we talk about functional medicine, laboratory testing, and optimizing health. Welcome to the Lab Report. Coming at you. <laughs> Why? The Lab Report. Wow. Hello. Hey, Michael Chapman. Hi, Patty Devers. How are you doing today? Coming at you. Whoa. The lab report. <laughs> but you're not. You're just sitting there. <laughs> Welcome, everyone, to the lab report. You mean metaphorically? That's right. I see. Okay. Welcome, everyone, to this podcast brought to you by Genova Diagnostics, where we talk about functional medicine, specialty lab testing, integrative therapeutics, and the like. Right. And I hope everyone goes to iTunes or Spotify and subscribes to this podcast. I, I hope that too. And rate us and review and leave us some stars and all that. That fun would be stuff. great. Yeah. That would be nice. We'd really appreciate that. And if you have feedback that you'd like to actually get to us directly, mm-hmm. then uh, you can email that to podcast at gdx.net. How fun are the emails? Emails are great. I know. They're great. So if you have ideas for shows or for guests, email us. We Work love it when it. you yeah. help write the content of the show. It's <laughs> perfect. Well, today we have a really interesting guest. He's a DO who has this amazing practice in Manhattan. And to your point in the intro, it's got so many different aspects to it that it truly is integrative. Yeah, I'm just going to actually, let me read Let me read through this here. Board certified in family medicine, anti-aging, regenerative medicine, osteopathic manipulation, functional medicine, craniosacral therapy, and medical acupuncture. I mean, does things, Dr. Paulvin does things like peptides and low-dose naltrexone and sports optimization. I mean, the guy does it all. I know. And it makes me uh, just just kind of wonder what, what, I've been, uh, what I've been doing. <laughs> what have you been doing, Michael? Podcasting. <laughs> well, thankfully, he's agreed to come on the show, and we're going to pepper him with a whole bunch of questions, try to get as much out of him as we can. So, Patty. Yes. Today we have on Dr. Paulvin, Dr. Neil Paulvin. Let me tell you a little bit about Dr. Paulvin. So, Dr. Paulvin's goal with all of his patients is to optimize their health in the first 60-minute visit. He's board certified in family medicine, anti-aging and regenerative medicine, osteopathic manipulation, functional medicine, craniosacral therapy, and medical acupuncture. He has helped top executives, Olympic athletes, top trainers, and celebrities optimize their health. Dr. Paulvin has been featured in the New York Post, Nutritious Life, Fasting MD, and many other publications and podcasts. Dr. Paulvin's practice is based in Manhattan, and he also serves clients in multiple states across this country over telemedicine. Dr. Paulvin uses traditional and alternative treatments to help his patients, and patients see Dr. Paulvin for his expertise in biohacking and health optimization. In addition, he specializes in helping his patients with hormone optimization, peptide therapy, nootropics, and natural options for pain relief. And with that, Welcome. thank you for being here, Dr. Paulvin. 
Thanks for having me. Looking forward to it. Great, great. Well, well, Dr. Paul, throughout your journey as a healthcare provider, you've gained a lot of different tools in your tool belt. I mean, you're a DO, so you're well-versed in manipulation, craniosacral work, but also things like peptides and acupuncture. So how did you become so interested in the functional and integrative medicine space? Pretty much because for two reasons. One, I mean, I, I was in a little bit of a rural area where I was trying, just dealing with kind of everything. There weren't as many specialists where I used, when I started up. Mm-hmm. And the traditional stuff just wasn't working. Mm-hmm. Um, for a lot, I dealt with a lot of uh, either injuries or sports medicine-wise or like a lot of fibromyalgia and Lyme patients. Mm-hmm. And they weren't getting better completely. And then I was also dealing with headaches and I tried every medicine, so every specialist except like a gynecologist and I wasn't <laughs> getting better. So um, I started doing it, again, digging into acupuncture and then diet and fasting and not that fasting, diet and uh, like supplements. And I'm like, well, I start feeling better. And then I'm like, I just kind of went down the rabbit hole, the good rabbit hole. Yeah. <laughs> the <good> rabbit hole. <laughs> the best one. Well, in your practice, you do see patients with all types of conditions and you also focus a lot on, on sports medicine and recovery. Um, and, and we've talked about s- some elements around sports medicine and recovery on this show. So what are some of your approaches to recovery? Like how can clinicians accurately assess recovery in their athletes? Assess it. I mean, it, it, it's, a, it's a combination of everything. It's a combination of, um, as you said, I'm, a, I'm a, an osteopath, so I do a lot of hands-on things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I can tell if there's a, anything from a joint restriction to fascial issues. So I, I, that I can tell. Mm-hmm. You have to listen to your patient. And then the lab work will also kind of back it up. So it's a combination of all those different things kind of as one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, then, and then the simple answer is that most everybody needs recovery if they're working out in, in the way they should be from Supplement-wise, to uh, peptides, to your red light therapy and recovery boots. So mm. I try to kind of personalize a package um, to people. I, I work my my core office is in Manhattan, so I usually have everything available to my patients within a ten block radius. I mean, I know it's mm-hmm. different depending where you are sure. in the country. Sure. Um, but um, or so, but that, that's kind of what I view. I tell the pa- the patient they should be doing it. And then I try to map out a plan. You got to figure out what your patient will do and wants to do. Yeah. I mean, if you tr- start forcing th- anything, if you start forcing something down the patient's throat, they're just going to not do it. And then you've lost the patient. Right, yeah. right, yeah. right. Well, and another question too, like on that vein is, I think a lot of times some of the conversations we have is actually convincing our athletes to maybe even back down in some of their training to assist in recovery? Like how do you find that that is a common conversation that you're having and how tricky is that to have? Uh, I have it a lot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know a lot of trainers who are pushing it. And then also, especially now in the society we're in now is that they're teaching doing seven online instead of doing one group class they're doing seven online zoom classes and this and that. So they're just, Get going all over the place and pushing themselves too hard, mm-hmm. um, and not hard having the conversation really because I mean, most of the people will feel it, or either they'll feel it on their exam, they'll feel it personally, mm-hmm. um, or I can now show in their labs that their testosterone is low, or their cortisol loop is through the is through the roof, or their mitochondrial tests are horrible, or their oxidative stress is bad. I mean, mm-hmm. you guys obviously know about testing for oxidative stress through Genova. So um, there's enough stuff out there now or now, I mean, plus if they're a wearable person, their HRV stinks. So, I mean, there's so many things now 
where it's yeah. not as hard having the conversation with the patient because most of the especially the higher end athletes speak the language already. Yeah. They just don't know what to do with the information a lot of times. Yeah. And data can be compelling, right? So if you show them some of this on paper, it becomes very compelling for them. But you just mentioned HRV. And on our podcast, we did a lot of talking about HRV and continuous glucose monitors. Do you integrate a lot of wearable devices in your practice? I do. I am a wearable junkie at this point. <laughs> I, and I, it's, it's kind of a double-edged sword. I mean, I tell patients that a lot of them, we don't know how ex- perfectly accurate they are, mm-hmm. but if you take them in combination and you know what they're good for, then they're incredible. It's also great because I can now, the patient knows, has some idea where they are, and then also the, the, I can link into their data. Mm-hmm. And say, okay, their their sugar's peaking when they're working out, or they're crashing, or their HIV is getting worse, or their whatever it happens to be. So it makes that in combination what they're telling me, in combination with lab data. I mean, you pretty much it just added another level. And also, now that they're cool, mm-hmm. it, it makes patients aware of where their body is, as opposed to me just having to tell them, oh, my sleep is not bad, or my sleep's not good, or my diet's bad, or my HRV is low. So they're kind of more themselves because they have that people need that number. A lot of people mm-hmm. need the number or a picture or something that proves them why they should do something. Yeah. And it, it also begs the question from a, just an overall patient management perspective, right? There's data coming in every single day. So how do you, what's the logistics of like trying to track a patient's data or one of your athletes that you're working with? Like, are, are you having regular check-ins? Are you having them send their data regularly? Like, how's that work logistically? Um, it just depends. I mean, it depends. They'll either send me data um, it depends who I'm dealing with. I have a certain clients that I, I'm in conversation with once a week. Mm-hmm. I'm doing other things that you mentioned I do, like either their peptide routine or their um, their supplementation right before. An, I mean, when there were events, to have them right before an event. So I'll talk to them most of the time. I would check. I, I'll check their loops every other week mm-hmm. um, through different apps and uh, go from there. And I tend I, I find if you micromanage a lot of the wearables, except for maybe except for um, sugar monitoring, which I think is a little more you need to micromanage sometimes, then that's all I do. That's what I do. I, I, I very rarely go day by day because I think you go crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And it's more just <laughs> teaching the patient how to look at their own data, too. Some of that might help as well. Yeah, definitely. No, educated people are becoming or much more compared to even a year ago. Right, it, right, right. It's night and day. Yeah. Changing subjects just a little bit. Um, another thing that you've discussed on uh, on platforms is the utilization of low-dose naltrexone. Um, can you speak to what clinical scenarios you find LDN to be valuable, maybe for some of the clinicians out there who are not familiar with how to apply it? And I'll tell you, as a DO, when I was trained, we know naltrexone is just used for opioid addiction. So when I came to functional medicine, this became intriguing to me, all of the different scenarios that they use low-dose naltrexone for. Can you speak to that a little bit? Sure. I mean, pretty much the answer to the first part of the question, it can pretty much be used for anything um, at this point. Uh, um, for people who don't know, low-dose naltrexone works on the opioid receptors. Um, they block them for a period of time, which means that when you they release, you get this endorphin opioid buzz. Uh, not buzz, but a release that will help with pain. It helps to... Also, the, some of the endorphin releases will work on things like nuclear factor kappa B, IL-6. Um, they think it may work on some of the um, the mitochondrial issues as well. 
um, by kind of the, the reset of the, the release and the reset of the hormones. Mm-hmm. Um, they're now finding it also has a, um, where I'm finding a big use for is in weight loss. And they're now finding that besides the infl- anti-inflammatory part that it works on insulin, helps reduce insulin resistance, which affects most things that we're dealing with in a functional medicine world, be it weight, brain fog, wake, all that um, energy, all those different things. So as we know, kind of if insulin's off, then the testosterone may be off and, and the, and the pathway begins. So, um, it's what I find that it's really great for anything. I mean, what's good now is that because it's come a little more, little more mainstream. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can pretty much get it in any form known to mankind. You can get anything from a sucking candy, a liquid, a, a tablet. Um, so you can, uh, it can be done any way that your patients really want to feel comfortable with doing at this point. I mean, I just make sure they know the three or four main side effects from it, which I, I've, I've had which usually lasts for a day or two. I mean, the only one I've, I had one patient out of probably two or 3,000 patients that had to stop it due to side effects. Hmm. Interesting. But, but then how do you decide? So it sounds like just about everything can be treated with LDN. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it's a little, I mean, it's true, but I mean, the main patients I use is uh, use it in are, like I said, weight loss has become really huge. Mm-hmm. Um, I use it, on, obviously, any of my autoimmune patients. I have a lot of Hashimoto's patients. Yeah who use it and um, anytime I, any of my autoimmune patients, I mean, first with thyroid, especially Hashimoto's, you've got to make sure that you definitely start a very low dose with them um, compared to some other things because sometimes they'll get better really quickly and they don't need as much thyroid medication oh, yeah. if they're on thyroid meds on top of it. Right. Um, I use it for, again, I have, I've had rheumatoid patients where they have no pain. Their rheumatoid factor is not, is non-detectable after having a pretty high levels after doing it for uh, three to six months, and I really love it as a as a prokinetic and immune booster in my SIBO and IBS patients. Hmm. Um, that has been uh, a godsend. Um, I get a lot. I'm sure a lot of functional medicine doctors do. They get the patients after after they've seen three, four, five other doctors. Yeah, and. I, I mix the, I mean, depending on what their symptoms are and what their testing shows, but I'll, I'll give them LDN. I'll add in a, a peptide that I'm sure, I think you mentioned before, another uh, podcast, BPC-157, right. mm-hmm. and had incredible success. I mean, I got my best kudos when I had a patient who actually had, um, I think it was ulcerative colitis. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were on that regimen and they went, they had a scope right before it in one of the major hospitals. And then they went for a scope afterwards, like six months later. And the, the gastro was like, what, what were you doing? Your, it, your gut looks 10 times better. Wow. That's amazing. Wow. So, wow. Yeah. Cause a lot of doctors, at least here are still resistant to that type of thing. Mm-hmm. But once they get the proof is in the pudding, then they're like, okay, you can do what you want. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I've more and more. LDN LDN has become a much bigger part of my practice. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's great. Well, who are the patients you wouldn't use it in? Obviously, people who are in pain medication, but are there patients in whom you would not use it? Besides narcotics, I mean, if, if, if that's the only, um, only ones I don't use it on. If you're on ox- anything above tramadol, there's a debate if you use DARPU who take it with tramadol. Hmm. Um, that's something you want to make sure you're, you the patient's aware. And if the you also got to play well with the other doctor who's if there's somebody the other doctor's prescribing something like that, make sure they're on board. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think above tramadol, oxycodone, Percocet, obviously you can't do it. Um, that's about it. There's a there's a, there's a lot of gray areas of, uh, with uh, anybody who's on immunosuppressants mm-hmm. long term. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, that's something that again you I talk with the, whoever's prescribing it. Um, 
otherwise it's really not um anybody who use a legal drug has a, any type of legal drug or alcohol major alcohol history i don't use it okay um, just because okay. it, it i just find it doesn't work as well or they think oh i could up the dose and mm-hmm. um it's a higher dose i can get cut my alcohol use down and, and they're taking doses i don't prescribe and it becomes a mess right right that makes sense that makes sense and how long do you normally keep somebody on it for so say somebody you're prescribing it for autoimmune like maybe rheumatoid do you keep somebody on it for long periods of time or not I mean, when I tell patients when they come through the door, it's a minimum of six months, hmm. um, sometimes up to a year. Like if it's a, a severe autoimmune patient, I'll tell them it's a year. Um, and then I always, my, my lines, I tell patients, you hit that fork in the road um, where some patients say, look, I have no side effects. It's inexpensive. I feel great. I'm just going to keep doing it. Mm-hmm. And I, especially now, like the other things like this cosmetic things coming out and the weight loss, are like, I feel good. Why am I going to stop it? Another patient, look, I don't want to take it anymore. It makes me nauseous. Then I, I, I take them off. Um, mm. But I usually do six months to a year, depending on what they're seeing me for. Do you have to wean it, or can you just discontinue? Um, you're supposed to wean it, and okay. you should wean it if you don't. If you're if you're new to it, okay, is the politically correct answer. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the politically correct answer. <laughs> <laughs> but now that what's happening is people are going in much higher doses. Um, then the initial courses were t- taught. So people are stopping it and we're not really, I'm not really seeing any type of withdrawal from it or reaction as long as they're not doing anything else bad. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't, but they politically, you should, until you know how to play with it, you should definitely try to win the patient off of it. Hmm. With, with so much success in functional medicine using this medication, I'm surprised it's not more mainstream, um, but I guess it's headed that way. Yeah. It's it, it's heading. It's getting more and more popular, um, especially I said because um, it's getting a lot more publication uh, promotion. Um, it was it's combined now with a couple of prescription medications, which gives a little more makes people, more people more aware of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, 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 I love it's it's great because it plays well in the sandbox. I mean, you can combine it with peptides, you can combine it with prescription, you can prescribe it with anything pretty much, and it works incredibly well. Yeah. Great. The, the, I mean, the other recurrent theme on our podcast, in addition to HPA access in sports <laughs> and, and all these other things, one of the other things that comes up a lot is diet. Okay. So everyone has their own opinions about what is the optimal diet. And we know that part of your practice is really you deal a lot with sports and health optimization. So do you have any specific orientation around the dietary approach for overall health? My approach is I have no approach, meaning that Everybody is different. Every again, as you mentioned, wearables before, mm-hmm. and people being self-aware. My, I mean, I've learned that the only thing I do, my core is really, I prefer a low carb versus even moderate carbs if I can in patients. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, I I believe in trying to keep things as anti-inflammatory as possible, no matter what a client is doing, uh, avoiding gluten. Um, some patients avoiding dairy for at least a period of time obviously avoiding sugar, which is the major thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, that's kind of the core beyond that. It depends on the patient. There's patients who, I mean, I also believe in fasting from all my male patients, female patients, the studies and my anecdotal evidence is kind of all over the place mm-hmm. um, in terms of fasting. But beyond that, I mean, I think for some patients, the autoimmune paleo works for some patients, keto works. So I, I, 
and I just find that I'm better off saying I, I don't want to. I want to eat more high fat, low carb is more my preference. Mm-hmm. Um, just because I find I think there's many benefits there, but I'm not saying that you have to go keto or um, anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but otherwise, like I said I don't. Like I said that's I don't. I find that everybody's different. Everybody and most people I see now, they kind of are already set where they are, and they know kind of what works, what doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times it's me just fine tuning it mm-hmm. and then I will develop either. I mean, I'll, it's more the fine tuning part where I have a lot of patients that are either eating, doing the six meal a day thing, which drives me crazy. Um, or they're doing, they don't know how to eat in terms of their workout and they're crashing or they're, they're eating like after they're fasting, they're eating like 3000 calories after that. So it's more the micromanaging part of the diet than me saying, okay, you're going to do a 50 gram keto diet or you're going to go paleo, or you're going to eat, do non-immune. The only thing I really, other thing I do in terms of diet is, is my, are my gut patients. Again, obviously there's SIBO, they're on a FODMAP diet or mm-hmm. a GAPS diet. Same. And that's the, that's the one where they're on that, they're on that diet for at least three months. That's cool. the one group of patients that they walk out of here with a diet. And that's a tricky part too, because, you know, like a low FODMAP diet is, is so effective in treating SIBO, but then, you know, introducing those FODMAPs back into the diet, you know, whether that's to try and encourage microbiome repopulation and things like that. Uh, how do you manage bringing, bring, you know, getting somebody off of a low FODMAP diet? Again, it's individual. Yeah. Um, it depends, Michael. I wish, yeah, I wish it was easier. And it, it's tough. <laughs> I mean, I can, I mean, there's an app and I can't remember the name of it where the patients can grade where they're, what is bad and what's not for them. Mm-hmm. So I tend to add in the, the 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 easy stuff first, and then add in the big guns. I mean, I think for most FODMAP patients, like either like the Brussels sprouts or onion that tend to trigger them, or a couple other ones that'll tend to add in last. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times, patients, I try to have. That's the one thing where I need to, again. I kind of really micromanage and say, look, okay, which of these 20, 30 foods are really bugging you? And they and then by the end when I'm ready to get them off of it, they know okay these are my two three four big triggers. Those are the last things we're going to add back in. Where I know everything is healed up and ready to go. Got it. Got it. But I mean, your practice is so varied. I mean, you have so many different specialties within this practice in Manhattan. Do you do a lot of testing, um, functional medicine testing in general? Do I do a lot of testing? Is yeah. that the question? Yeah. Ah, uh, well, I try. Um, I'm not sure. I, I mean. In New York, your a lot of tests are not available. Yeah. Oh yeah. Compared to the other forty nine states, right? Um, right. Which is a bit um, I, <laughs> um, but I do a lot of testing. Um, it depends. Yes, I do a lot of testing for all my patients more than they're used to. Like I always get yelled you know, from the phlebotomist or the lab. We just drew seventeen vials of blood. Most <laughs> ever draw. I mean, last phlebotomists when they see my prescription come in, they they run the other way. Um, so yeah, I do a lot of testing. So I again, because like you said, because I do a lot of things. So they're seeing me for the anti aging test lab work, things like what you guys like the oxidative stress, organic acid, mm-hmm. and then on top of that, they're doing all the hormone panel and they're doing like all the heart, the cholesterol stuff. So that's what they're. So I do a lot of testing and then I have to put it all in the, in the big picture for the patient. Got it. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Well, you know, one last question I have, you've really 
really designed a successful practice. And I think there's a lot of people who are newer to functional medicine, a lot of clinicians trying to get their start, trying to get their own practice built up. What Do you have any tips for some of these docs who are a little bit newer to functional medicine and trying to maybe <laughs> escape their conventional right. world and get into an actual functional medicine practice? Yeah, I mean, yes, definitely. I mean, things I've learned, I mean, definitely know your niche. Hmm. Um, unless you're, if you're, already have a practice and you're just kind of converting it, then that's easy. You already have the patients already built in. Mm-hmm. If you're trying to start from ground zero, mm-hmm. you need to have a niche and a pitch because what I'm finding is, especially now that telemedicine is exploded and you have everybody from doctors to people who took a one week, one weekend course to having these online programs and mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. So you need to be, you know, okay, I, I do thyroid or I do, gut health or I'm like, I'm like the sports anti eight, like you need, and then be able to give two or three good ideas to your patients, why they should need to see you Mm -hmm. over the 10,000 other people that are out there. Mm -hmm. Um, That's what you need. You need to have the idea going in. I kind of, like you said, because I do so much, it was hard to communicate that. So I kind of had to almost narrow down in certain things to to understand, understand what I can do for them initially until you get word of mouth and, and so on and so forth. Um, and then realize it. You other thing would be you need to try to make sure people are buying into a plan as opposed to a one-off visit. Mm-hmm. Trying to do, I, try, I explain to patients and do, other doctors is this is not where they're coming and getting their Z pack or I can't think of another example, but getting their Z pack and they're better in four or five days. You need to get the lab work, then you need to get work on their diet and, and whatever and the supplementation or whatever you're doing with them, it's, you can't do it in one visit and you can't do it in 15 minutes. Sure. Right, right, sure. right. Pri- prior to the pandemic, were you doing a lot of telemedicine? I know we we know that you do a lot now. Had you always been doing that? I was doing it before it became cool. Um, <laughs> I actually have like 17 state licenses. Wow. So it enables me to do telemedicine because a lot of my, one, I, I have patients all over and two, even before, the, like even before, I have patients who they're in New York one week, they're in LA another week. So it enables me to follow them around as opposed to, well, I'm not licensed in, in California. I can only see you once a year. Right. Um, but it also is great because it enables you to, you can do group visits. You can also do, I think it's a little cool. You can show more doc. I think it's in some ways it's better because you can also show a little more documentation. Mm-hmm. Now patients are, I think, are getting the, the Zoom fatigue. Right. That they'd rather almost interact with a doctor in person. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, I can't do an IV on, a, on a, over the computer, and I can't give them a shot. But right. Right. Um, it, has, it definitely has its niche, especially for lab reviews. And it also makes patients more compliant because um, most obviously people are busy. So may, they may not want to be able to come in to go over their lab results or whatever, and you're kind of stuck. And then, okay, I'll hop on a 20-minute call with you at 12 o'clock on your lunch break. Right. And then we'll go through your lab work. We'll we'll send your plan to you. Your supplements get mailed to you, and then they're they're moving further ahead, and and then they feel better, and they like you, and they keep going. Yeah, and it's mm-hmm. in that in between time where you can really make a difference, right, in their day to day, where they're stumbling and behavioral change, and and really just checking in with them between office visits. Exactly. Yeah, it's also great to explain things to them because again, it's not just a Z pack. They always have questions. Okay, how many days am I taking this? Mm-hmm. Why am I taking this? Because <laughs> 
it's an alphabet suit. A lot of times it's an alphabet suit for patients the first time or second time you see them in a functional medicine practice, unless they're really well versed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they always, they always have five questions after you ask them, do you have any questions? Right. <laughs> <laughs> Which come in later via email. Exactly. exactly. I, just spent, I just finished up answering mine for today. Yeah. <laughs> well, Dr. Paul, I appreciate the time, you know, but before we let you go, there's one question that we ask everyone and we don't have any, uh, this is a little bit of a surprise. We call mm-hmm. it the fireball question. And, um, <laughs> this, no, this will be good. I'm curious with all of your expertise, do you actually have a favorite sandwich? I mean, you're in Manhattan. You can have any food I know. you want. That's, right? that's what so, we were thinking. So. Yeah. Um, fa- my favorite sandwich is a corned corn beef with uh, spicy mustard. Wow. Okay. I like corn beef. And there's some that's great nice. delis in New York City. Oh Exa- exactly. Yes. Yeah. Is, is the Carnegie still open or did they close? Uh, the Carnegie ju- closed and reopened. Oh, great. Great. Great, great, see, great, great. that's See, that's a classic. We <laughs> haven't had that one, Michael. The good New York deli meat, you That's know? Right. <laughs> I, I know I'm, I know we're on a functional medicine podcast, but if I'm going to splurge, it's, 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 it's there and it tastes really darn good. Yes. And there's something to be said for that. That's and, right. And the joy that certain food and, you know, emotional memory that's, that some of these foods That's have right. and, the, and the ubiquity of a good sandwich. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, we can't thank you enough, Dr. Paulvin. Where can the audience find you either on social media or online? Uh, they can find me, um, Social media, it's DR, my last name, Paulvin, P A U L V I N. Um, the website or, and the newsletter is at the um, doctor spelled out, D O C T O R. Again, my last name, Paulvin.com. And uh, check, I'm always on both things, um, mm. trying to gather some information. If you have any questions, just shoot me an email or a DM. Well, I will say, we, we follow some of your live videos on Instagram, and they're great. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of really great FAQs. So we're going to encourage the audience to follow you there, too, because there's tons of free, amazing information from Dr. Paulvin. Yeah. And we had a great time talking to you, sir. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Have a oh, great rest of your Yeah. You guys know how to have a good time on a podcast. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> See, like, he knows so many things. Yeah. It's amazing. I know. It's amazing. And we definitely need to have him back on because I've got a million questions about peptides. Oh, I do too. Like how to remember all the numbers and letters that <laughs> BPC are BPC-157. <laughs> like it's all so nebulous to me. Even low-dose naltrexone was so unfamiliar to me before I came to functional medicine. So I feel like that's important information to get out there as well. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm happy that we went into all that level of detail as well. I think that's going to be very, very helpful. Just as a reminder, this is not medical advice. Though it sounds like I should be on low-dose naltrexone. Me too. Where do I get some? <laughs> I don't know. I'm going to call Dr. Paulvin after we should. Done. We should. After I hit stop button, I'm calling him. <laughs> Next time on The Lab Report, we're going to talk about functional medicine testing. Imagine that. We work here at Genova. Maybe we'll talk about thyroid. Oh, good one. Maybe. Oh. You've been listening to The Lab Report. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast, rate us, and leave us a review. To learn more about Genova Diagnostics, visit our website at gdx.net. There you'll find information on specific testing, educational resources, and how to connect with our show. Call us at 1-800-522-4762 or email us at podcast at gdx.net. That was very dad-like. I have a lot of practice. We're going to talk about this? Maybe. Can wow. I have your phone? Can I have cookies? Can I have ice cream? Maybe. Can I watch a movie? (laughs) Maybe.